As you're seated, will you take your Bibles and we will turn together to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 17. I pray that the Lord in a way locks into your heart the importance of this day and that we'll receive this word and be back tonight once again to worship and to allow the word to shape our thinking as we move forward. Let me give you the context. David is keeping sheep while the rest of his brothers are on the front lines of battle. For 40 days, his brothers have been there, and each day, the champion of Gath steps out and he taunts the people of God. They are unwilling to fight. David's dad is unaware of how things are going, so he says to his son, David, I want you to take these items and I want you to travel to where they are. I want you to give them some fresh bread and grain, and I I want you to get a report for me. So that is the context, and David walks into that scene. And I want you to pick it up with me at verse 23. Verse 23 of 1 Samuel 17. As he was talking with them, meaning his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So you see the response of Israel to this champion of Gath. David says, what does the man get if he's willing to go out and fight him and kill him? And it was one incredible reward. And it was so phenomenal that David talked to another group and said, "Uh, repeat to me what you get if you go out and fight the giant. In all of this conversation, word makes it to King Saul that there is someone willing to fight. So David ends up with an appointment with King We'll read about that down in verse 33. Don't be ridiculous, Paul, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Now, David was determined. Scripture says he persisted in that conversation with King Saul. And he says, I can do this. The same God who rescued me from the lion and the bear as I was keeping my father's sheep is the same God that will rescue me from this pagan Philistine. Those are important words. He identified something about Goliath that is strategic to this message. He said, I will fight him. King Saul continues to talk until David says, you know what? God can conquer him. The Lord is with me. The battle is the Lord's. The king offered his armor. David says, that's not tested. That won't work for me. I have another idea. And so we'll pick up the reading where it says in verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now what's interesting is the very next verse says that the Philistine army were so filled with fear that they turned and started to run away. The Israeli army, they were filled with victory. 
when they saw Goliath come down and they moved forward, the Bible says. It says they, they ran to the battle and they chased the enemy. They moved forward. I submit this message to you today, that David defeated Goliath not by how he fought, but how he thought. And if we can look into his thinking, perhaps we can prepare for some giant killing. There are challenges in front of us, giants in our path. But God is greater than any giant. He is greater than any enemy force that is trying to distract or stop you. But it may be more important that we work on our thinking than it is that we work on our fighting. Because it's how he thought that gave him the victory. How did he think? He thought in a four-dimensional way. One dimension is what I see. Another dimension is what I hear. Another dimension is to recognize that God is present even though I don't see him. Those of you that are Christians, you understand what I mean. That Jesus is in this room. We don't see him. But we all believe that he's here by the presence of the Spirit of God. Jesus is here. Jesus is with me. When we all leave this room, he will not be in this room. He will be with you. He resides in us by his presence. For we are the temple of God. That is the word of God. David was a man who moved in this four-dimensional thinking. I, I talk about another dimension that we all believe exists that there is a spiritual realm that's just as real as the physical realm i believe that god is as real in this place though i don't see him as i believe you are in this place i believe in the reality of a present god a god who is emmanuel a god with us David said in verse 37, the same God who rescued me from the lion and the bear will rescue me from this giant, the presence of God. He says, the giant comes to me with sword and spear, but I'm going to come against him in the name of the Lord. He acknowledges the presence of God. He says in the very next verse, the Lord will conquer him. And when he goes out to battle, he says the battle is the Lord's. All the way through, he is acknowledging the presence of God. When we acknowledge the presence of God, David teaches us that we have a perspective that otherwise we wouldn't have. He is the one who says, who is this pagan Philistine? He recognizes and identifies that Goliath is not part of the covenant people of God. Some versions say David's words were, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Circumcision was a sign of the covenant people of God that God had established. Those that were in covenant with God had the assurance of God's presence, protection, and power. And what David was saying is that the giant is on the losing side. We are on the winning side because we're the covenant people of God. David is acknowledging something that's very important. We we talked about this last week, and it's this. We are fighting from victory, not for victory. 
We are the covenant people of God. The sign of covenant for you and me is the blood of Jesus. Paul says Jesus has risen from the dead and it's his name that's far above every other name that he is the victor. He has dominated and destroyed the enemy's authority and so we are as believers in covenant with God and we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb. We're in relationship, in covenant, by the word of our testimony. God is with us and he's greater than any giant we face. David said, many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say of me, there is no help for me in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. He acknowledged the presence of God. We are fighting from victory, not for victory. David is saying, all we have to do is go out there. All God needs is someone that will let God be God. Who is this pagan Philistine? He is acknowledging that God is his presence and power. See, when you're walking in the spirit, you have a perspective that you wouldn't have if you walk in the flesh. It's quite possible to be a believer and not walk in the spirit. To have a general concept that God is everywhere, but not walk in the conscious presence of God. He is with me, with me now. With me to provide, protect, and empower. Walking in the Spirit puts my focus not on the risk but the reward. David is saying, uh, what does the person get who fights this giant? And he listens and it's intriguing. He says, run that by me again. And, and so David is not thinking of the risk. The Israeli soldiers are saying, look at his sword. Look at his height. He is the champion. There's no way we can win. David isn't looking at the risk. David's looking at the reward. He's saying, if I go out and fight this giant and he comes down, God will be glorified. They were in the Valley of Elah. It was a strategic place. And whoever won that battle, the word would spread because of, of the strategic place. And the, the known world would be aware of who wins the victory of that battle. And so God would be glorified among the nations if the giant comes down. So David's saying, God's going to be glorified. That's a reward. David's saying, I'm going to get to marry the king's daughter and be tax-free for the rest of my life. I'm going out and fight. See, he was focused on the reward. When you're fighting from victory, you're influenced by the presence of God that says you're going to win. Then you can look at how God will be glorified and your life will move forward. Rather than calculating all the risk. It was risky for Sarah to go buy maternity clothes at age 90. For Joshua to march around a wall as if that was a good battle strategy. For Peter to get out of a perfectly good boat. For Jesus to die on a cross. But because they were focused on the promise of God's presence and the reward, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. The wall of Jericho comes tumbling down. Peter walks on the water. And Jesus rises 
from the dead. Praise God. In just a few verses, from about verse 45, let me pick up the reading there. Listen to this. If we can listen to the way someone talks, we can know what they're thinking. The way I talk reveals the way I think. Listen to the way he talks. David replied to the Philistine, You come with me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. He goes on to say, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Look on down into the verse. I know that there is a God in Israel. He's speaking about the whole world knowing. Once the giant comes down, verse 47, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues the people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. In just two verses, David doesn't speak a sentence without referencing the presence of God You can tell how someone is thinking by how they talk. And David has these God thoughts that are showing up in the way that he talks that then influence the way that he responds. And then you see a victory that is going to ignite a generation of winners and giant killers. He acknowledged the presence of God. I say, we need to declare that the battle is the Lord's. Whatever the battle, it is the Lord's. God is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Praise God. No weapon formed against me will prosper because I'm fighting from victory. I am more than a conqueror because I'm fighting from victory. I am an overcomer by the blood. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm in covenant with God. I'm an overcomer by the word of my testimony. He is with me and he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. My past is a prophet to my future that the God who was with me then is with me now and will be with me in the future. I'm not going to worry about the risk. I'm going to focus on the reward. God will be glorified and my life will move forward in the destiny that God has prepared for me. And we give God a praise for four-dimensional thinking. He is with us. This next insight, it helps me, it challenges me. I call it fresh thinking. For 40 days, this giant had come out and taunted the people of God. And because Israel only thought in conventional ways, In traditional ways, they couldn't see how to win. They said, look at his sword, it's bigger than our sword. Look at his shield, it's bigger than our shield. Because they had only fought with swords and shields, they felt they were no match. David walks on the scene and says, I have another idea. His sword is as big as a weaver's beam. That just sounds big, doesn't it? A weaver's beam. A beam. 
And the issue was that Goliath had the reach. No one could even get close. And so David says, why would we fight him the way we've always fought? I have another idea. Why don't we use a weapon that would turn uh, into like a projectile where we don't have to get close to him? Fresh thinking. You see, if all you have is a hammer, every challenge will look like a nail. But there are some challenges that require a different tool. Truth must never change, but tradition should change. I have an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 9-year-old, a son, a daughter, and a son. They all have our DNA, but I want to tell you, they're all different. They have similarities, and they have differences. And if we try to parent each one of them the same, we are not going to be effective parents. We need fresh thinking as we help each one of them navigate the journey of life. This economy is very interesting. And we need some fresh thinking. We need to capture some God thoughts. And perhaps learn a new approach for a new economy. For if I do what I've always done the way I've always done it, why would I expect a different result? Fresh thinking. Do you believe that there are perhaps ways of doing church that we've never thought of yet? See, David, in that meeting with King Saul, was offered Saul's armor. And if he would have walked out of that meeting with Saul's armor, all of Israel would have respected him. He would have had the king's armor. And even if he would have gone out, fought, and died, people would have still respected him because he was willing to fight and he had the king's armor. If he would have had the king's armor, he would have looked good. But he would have looked good dying. See, conventional thinking was to walk out of the king's quarters with the king's armor. One of my concerns is that the present day church is dying. But we've never looked better. We've never had greater buildings, bigger budgets, greater resources, Christian radio, Christian television, Christian bookstores, in every community, churches on every corner, and the, the nation is going to hell. This nation has never been more anti-God. And yet the church has never looked better. Dying. I want enough humility to where I would open my mind that perhaps God has a fresh idea. And then enough courage to act on what he tells me. 
It would be far easier for me to just put on Saul's armor and remain very conventional. Because I know how to do that. It's more challenging to step out here and say, I think there are ways of doing church we haven't thought of yet. And that we're moving forward because I, I, I sense the groundswell of God's momentum. But I don't have all the strategy figured out. But I'm not just going to do it the way I've always done it just to look busy. God, stir us. Stir us in our marriages. Stir us in our families. Stir us in our ministries. Stir us with fresh thinking. When I set my heart to prayer, I set my mind like a trap to capture those God thoughts. At some point, it came to David's mind, why don't you use a slingshot? When he fought the lion and the bear, it says nothing about a slingshot. In his history, we don't ever see him using a slingshot. I'm not saying he didn't know how to use one. I'm just saying when he fought the lion and the bear, that's not the weapon he used. And I am, I am influenced by a man who will come and see this giant. And you've got all of the conventional, traditional approach to warfare. And yet he was humble enough and courageous enough to do it like it had never been done before. Peter walked out in Saul's armor, everyone would have said, wow. When he walked out in nothing but his shepherd garments and all he had was a sling, everyone ridiculed him. His own brothers were denying him. I don't even, I don't even know who that is. But once the giant came down, he was the man. We need some people who have spent some time in solitude with God who have nurtured a faith in God, who have realized that His glory is higher than the heavens and there's no God like our God and there's no one else beside Him, no one else like Him. He's greater than our yesterdays and greater than our tomorrows. He's greater than the devil. He's greater than any giant. And God has given me a fresh idea and to walk onto the scene of this present day church with some fresh thinking that would bring an awakening, that would bring a revival, that would bring a flood of God's presence and growth to the church. I want God to speak to our hearts. Fresh thinking. Fresh thinking. See, if we learn about his thinking, it's not how he fought, it's how he thought. And we see the fresh thinking. Finally, it was very forceful thinking because his brother, the king, and Goliath said, it won't work. The three major players in the story all said to him, you can't do this. If David would have been weak-minded, he would never have stepped out on the battlefield. There was a forcefulness, a determination in his thinking. I just want to say right now, don't let the devil talk you out of your future. 
Your past is not greater than your future. God is with us. God is leading us. The best days are in front of us. Don't you let the devil talk you out of your destiny. Why don't you apologize to the dream God gave you and get back on track with the dream and declare God is with me and no giant will keep me from moving forward. Let me talk to you today. John Osteen pastored the great Lakewood Church. And when he died, everybody was asking who will pastor this church. Well, there was a son of his by the name of Joel that was working in the media department. And Joel felt that the Spirit of God was saying to him, you are the next pastor. He responded in his heart with these thoughts. I I have no formal training. I have never preached. I have never pastored. Yet, I feel God is leading me to do this. He said in the, the middle of the night, it was as if the devil would walk into his room and say, nobody's gonna come and hear you preach. You're gonna destroy your dad's church. There's no way you can lead this church. But yet he felt God was with him and God was leading him. And so he started pastoring the church. People started coming. The church was already a large church and it exploded in growth. And there was only a two-lane road that, that gave access to the church. It was jammed. The building was jammed and they had to find land, build a building They had to expand. They couldn't really expand where they were. They couldn't get the road widened. And so they were processing, what do we do? And God gave Joel Osteen an idea. Why don't you see if you could get the compact center? It was a civic center. It was city-owned. Can you imagine when he sat down with the first group of leaders and he has no formal education. He, he's never pastored a church. And he, he gets that big smile on his face. And he says to those leaders, I have an idea. Why don't we go after the compact center? It was only $80 million. $80 million. The city council said there is no way we will vote to let a church come into this civic auditorium. It would seat 16,000 people. One city council member said it'll be a cold day in hell before a church ever gets this building. They were one vote short on the city council from getting the building as they worked through the process And there was a Jewish man that wasn't going to vote for it. And so Joel Osteen set a a personal appointment with that Jewish man. And he sat down and shared the vision. And by the time the talk was over, this Jewish man said, I can't believe I'm about to say this. But I'm going to change my vote. Here I am, a Jewish man. And I'm going to vote for a Christian church to have a civic auditorium. And the Jewish man changed his vote. It was historic. And Lakewood Church gets the compact center. 
And when they move in, they have to have two services every Sunday morning because they're running over 30,000 people. And in the dedication service, Joel Osteen says, there was a man on the city council who said it'd be a cold day in hell before we ever got this building. And in his kindness, he says, I suppose they're passing out sweaters down there today. (laughs) Fresh thinking, but behind that smile is a tenacious leader. He said, I have an idea that I believe is from God and it's never been done before and everybody says it can't be done. But I believe it's from God and I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to hold to this. Oh, for the people of God to just be desperate for God, desperate for the ways of God. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we will hold to that promise with everything that we have until we see the salvation of the Lord. I close with what occurred, this, this giant killing that happened through thinking of the presence of God and the ideas of God and being tenacious, determined. It inspired an entire nation and Israel was known for one victory after another. You can read of the mighty men in 2 Samuel 23 and one of them, you will read that he went out and killed 800 men with a spear. That's like supernatural and it's as though when David did something that had never been done before it it released other people to think and believe they could do what they had never done before by the power of God then you read of a guy by the name of Abishai who who just does extraordinary things in battles he's defeating giants and hundreds of enemy forces all by himself things that people would have never tried and then there's one of my favorite A guy by the name of Benaiah, and the scripture says of Benaiah that one day he chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day. His goal was not to just be a leader of the army, but like to be secretary of defense for for King David. And you know, if you chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day, and you come out alive and the lion is dead... That'd be a great thing to put on your resume to to be Secretary of Defense. But that's not all it says of Benaiah. It says of Benaiah that he also took on a spectacular Egyptian. That's one word used in one translation of the Bible. Other says an exceptional Egyptian. This was like a champion. No one had been able to defeat him. And it says of Benaiah that he, he went up against him and He really had no weapon, but he knocked that exceptional, spectacular Egyptian to the ground, and he took that Egyptian sword and cut off his head. Now, I wonder where he got that idea. See, he had been inspired to giant killing because when one person does it, it's like when the first person broke the four-minute mile. Now, many people have broken the four-minute mile.
My heart as a pastor is to lead desperate for God and his, his ways and then to have the humility and the courage to do what he tells us to do so that at the end of the day, we have not only had an effective church for our generation, but we have, in, we have inspired a generation of giant killers. I don't want to only be a time teller. I want to be a clock builder. If I could walk outside today and look at the placement of the sun and tell you what day it is and what time it is, that would be impressive. But when I'm gone, who would tell the time? However, if I can build a clock that will keep telling time after I'm gone, that would be far more influential. And I don't want to just have stirring good church services and let, let that be the expression and the final conclusion of my leadership I want to be a clock builder that moves forward in desperation for God, knowing that God is with me and that he gives me fresh thinking and that I have the courage and the forcefulness in my heart to see it happen so that maybe 30 years from now, I will hear of the children that are attending this church and the teenagers that are attending this church out in their world on the cutting edge of their destiny doing things that we never dreamed could happen but they were inspired because they were raised in a giant killing atmosphere not an atmosphere that says I don't think you can and you shouldn't even try and we've never done it that way before but an environment that says go for it you can do it God is with you no weapon formed against you shall prosper do what God has called you to do I want to stir up until there's revolutionizing. Luther would never use the word revolution. He said, let's call it revolutionizing because things should always be changing. I want to see some revolutionizing in our thinking and that will impact the way we live for God. I say this community needs some people that will let God be God, that will turn God loose and do what God can do. I will, I will attack in every way I can from this platform that which would keep us from God's best. Oh, I feel, I feel some Joel Osteen coming on me. This is my Bible. <laughs> I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. And listen to this. I can do what it says I can do. I am not defined by a test score. I am not defined by what someone else has said to me or about me. I am defined by what the Word of God says about me. I can do what the Word of God says I can do. Hallelujah. Why don't we all stand and give God praise? Come on, put your hands together and let's praise him today. Let's praise him today. Lord, our praise, our praise is that of triumph. A triumphant praise. A triumphant praise. Hallelujah.